For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. I'm so grateful to have you along for another show. And this week, I am delighted to bring you Uwe Blessing. He has been on my radar since long before I even started this show. I've been wanting to have him on as a guest. He was the first person I even wanted to have as a guest. So I'm very grateful to be able to bring him to you. We dive into all kinds of topics around cannabis, around cannabis medicine, the research side of things, the more spiritual side of things. We really run the gamut. Uwe has had so much experience in the industry, both from the medical practitioner side as an EMT, and then also on the researcher side. He is a wealth of wisdom and information, and I know that you are going to enjoy this episode. So, Please head over to Apple or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever it is that you love to listen to these podcasts and make sure to leave a rating for this show. It really helps more ears get to this podcast. And you know what that means. The more people listening to this, the better informed the public are and the better the entire industry is as a whole. So go do that. Take that time. It really does help. And reach out to me directly if you feel that you have something to share. I'd love to hear from you, whether it's criticism or praise, or you think you'd be a great guest or you know a great guest, whatever it is. I love to hear from you guys. Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com is the way to reach me. So without further ado, let's get straight to this interview with Uva Blesche. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest, I am honored to bring Uva Blessing onto the show. Uwe is a medical writer, author, and speaker in the areas of cannabinoid health sciences and mind-body medicine. He is the author of multiple books, including The Cannabis Health Index, Breaking the Cycle of Opioid Addiction, and Your Cannabis CBD-THC Ratio. He served patients and the community for 20 years as a paramedic for the city of San Francisco and holds a PhD in higher education and social change from the Western Institute for Social Research. His most recent work has been as co-founder and chief science officer at Canakees 360, an app and online platform designed to unlock the science of the endocannabinoid system. Uwe, I have to tell you, it is such an honor to have you on the show. It was, I listened to you on a podcast a few years ago, and when I first had the idea to put this show together, you were my ideal guest. You were the first person I ever wanted to have on. And I finally got the courage to reach out to you. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Well, thank you, Matthew. It feels really nice to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I shared with you too that uh, when my father started working in the digital side of the cannabis industry, your book was the first I sent to him. So you've been a big influence on me in, in my medical cannabis journey. So thank yeah, you. Well, thank you, Mike. It, my, Matthew, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, yeah, let's let's just dive right in. I'd love to hear your history and how you got so interested in cannabinoid sciences. Well, you know, there were there were more than one entry story. Um, when I first was interested in medicine, I, you know, I was still, you know, a, a college student in, in Germany and I'd done pre-med over there and uh, I'd applied for med school after college and, and I got in, but there was a waiting list for two years. And so I, I decided, you know, take the two years and go see the world. And um, so I started traveling and, and um, I ended up in, in the Bay Area here in San Francisco and I fell in love with the city. 
And uh, so I, I decided to, to stay. And uh, however, uh, I had to let go of the, the, my, my spot in medical school and doing it here was cost prohibitive. I, I mean, medical school in America is, costs an arm and a leg. And so a friend of mine at the time said, well, why don't you uh, check out the uh, paramedic program here at Stanford? They, they have a pretty, you know, nice scope of practice and, you know, it's exciting work and, uh, you know, it's, it's in the medical field and, and see if you like it and, and, and go from there. It's a good starting point. So I did. I, you know, I, I became a paramedic here in the city, uh, got hired by, uh, by uh, the Department of Public Health at first. And, and, and it turned out I really loved um, being a paramedic. And then, you know, a few years later, we got absorbed into the fire department and, and which, you know, it has its advantages in, in terms of you're on a fireman's schedule. So you get a lot of free time on your hand, but you're tired all the time, too, because you're on 24 on hour shifts and paramedic shifts are extremely busy, you know, at least in the Bay Area. And so, but, you know, I, I managed to find a happy medium and I went back to school and, and went the PhD route instead and, and started to focus on, on research. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I had patients in the ambulance who, you know, sooner or later, the conversation would steer towards them using cannabis for the various, um, conditions. You know, I remember one patient who had severe burns from um, radiation therapy due to a type of cancer he had. And he said, without being able to access, and, and in those days, you know, it was very difficult to, to, to get legal access. It, you know, in fact, you know, I, I remember it wasn't, it wasn't even possible. He had to go through, you know, gray markets or black market channels to get it. But, but I've seen him in the ambulance twice, once, once uh, with the use of cannabis and one time without. And, and, and there, was a, there was a world of differences in between, you know, his level of discomfort, his level of pain was concerned. And so, so to see that up front, firsthand, was, was you know, a, 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 a game changer. I was never really interested before, but when I saw the impact it had on my patients, and this is just one out of literally hundreds of, of, of examples, you know, the, the, the Bay Area was, was um, uh, ch severely challenged with HIV and AIDS in, in, the, in the 80s. And, um, uh, and so a, a lot of the, 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 the uh, uh, patients, the AIDS patients, and their caretakers were one of the first ones to sort of like make maps of new treatment territories because they were so poorly served by orthodox medicine. What orthodox medicine had in the early years on was, was AZT basically, and which had severe adverse effects. And um, anyway, so, so more than one story, more than one entry point, but what I saw firsthand really touched my heart and really opened up my mind to the possibility that uh, in cannabis, we have an ally in healing that is just extraordinary. And um, that was sort of like my first passive approach. It was just witnessing the sheer wonder, if you will, you know, comparing you know, uh, one state of one patient with another and the differences were just so significant and not just quality of life, but, but actual differences in, in, in levels of pains or the, the, the reduction in, in nausea and vomiting. It just, um, it, it was astonishing. It, and it still is, you know, it's, it's, there's still, there's not a week that doesn't go by without me hearing one other fantastic story of, about, uh, you know, what cannabis can do for so many different patient populations. That's so true. So true. And I, I feel like we're blessed to be in this side of the industry where we get to hear so many of those stories and it just keeps getting better and better and more incredible along the way. Do you have any other stories yeah, that you want I, to share? I mean, and it's not, uh, I'm pardon, I didn't hear. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead, whatever you were going to say. Oh, you know, I, you know and it's not that, that cannabis is a silver bullet either. You know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's a medicine that requires an adult and responsible mindset to make sure you optimize the therapeutic benefits and minimize 
any potential for adverse effects. And, and so it does require, uh, uh, you know, if you're a patient to educate yourself, same with the caretaker. And, and that's also true for, uh, for healthcare providers of any ilk, uh, because it's, it's only one in 10 med schools now are, are beginning to teach the endocannabinoid system. When, when in fact it's, you know, when you go to PubMed and you punch in cannabis, you get, you know, roughly about 30,000 entries of uh, published scientific papers that looked at uh, the impact of cannabis or cannabinoid-based therapeutics, you know, uh, you know, in the, in, in the context of treating, you know, uh, currently I think there are over 250 conditions for which uh, cannabinoid-based therapeutics show potential. And so to see that, that number is, is overwhelming, you know, it can be, but it's also encouraging because it just shows you the excitement that's, that's, that exists in the research community. And, you know, it's also reflective of so much frustration, so many healthcare providers and, and their patients experience when it comes to especially dealing with chronic conditions for which, you know, the, the, the vast majority of them exist, you know, there's no cure within Western medicine. You know, it's just managing symptoms, you know, and, and, and with, with no hope in, or very little hope inside. And that's another reason I got so excited about the cannabinoid health sciences, because it brings more hope to, to otherwise, what's considered otherwise chronic conditions when there previously was none. And, and just that by itself is fantastic. And it's not false hope. It's not, you know, there's hope and there's false hope. And, and you know, in, 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 if you take an educated, self-educating approach, you, you, you know, you will find a way to utilize cannabinoid or cannabis, you know, in a way to, to help you uh, uh, mitigate the, the, the symptoms that, uh, you know, that, that you, that you challenged with. It's true. And uh, if you start looking into the research and it's so, there's not a lot yet around the endocannabinoid system because our discovery of it is still so new, but the things that we're starting to find is it may in fact be the trigger behind our body's entire healing mechanism. It might be that thing that allows for healing to happen within all of our regulatory systems. It's fascinating. Yeah. In fact, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, we have 11 organ systems or 12, depends how you count them. And, and while, you know, the endocannabinoid system, which is only a, a fairly, you know, recent discoveries, you know, it's, it's the late 90s, I mean, sorry, the late 80s, early 90s, when, when the first um, uh, cannabinoid receptors and their endogenous uh, compounds that bind with them were discovered. And so, you know, it's 30 years in, in as far as, um, uh, medicine is concerned, it, it's, it's a slow turning wheel to integrate n new insights into, into the process of, of bringing medicine to, to where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And so, so the, but the good thing is it, it's an herb that literally anybody can grow virtually anywhere. And with a little bit of education, a, a little bit of, of, of knowledge, you know, it, it, and especially in the context of being it, being uh, it being having cannabis be a relatively safe um, uh, remedy or medicine to work with, you know, especially in comparison, you know, the risk versus benefit analysis clearly leans in favor of of, of benefit, you know, and and again, the more we know about it, the more one knows uh, about it uh, before using it, the the the, the better you will be in a position to optimize the therapeutic effects and minimize any adverse effects potential that, that, that is also, uh, you know, part of part and parcel of what's possible. Absolutely. And it's important to note that there are adverse effects. There are certain drug to drug indications where you could have adverse effects there. Uh, roughly nine to 10% of the population does have a tendency towards addiction with it. It's uh, there, there's, it's important to, to mention these risk factors and it's not just a panacea. You know, I, I certainly am one of them who, who likes to address um, uh, the potential of using cannabis in medicine from, from a, 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 
a, a wide open door approach looking at the pros and the cons. Cannabis isn't for everyone, you know, and there are some people that are very sensitive to, and I'm one of them, you know, that are very sensitive to, to, to THC, for example. So I have to be very careful, you know, what type of cannabis I take and, and, and what, uh, what uh, dosage and concentration of, of THC is contained therein uh, uh, because I, you know, I've, I've made the mistake and, and eaten a, uh, a cookie that, you know, I, I'm not feeling anything after an hour and eat another one and then bear out the sad story of, of going into a severe, you know, anxiety because I just, uh, uh, you know, even though I knew better, you know, I, I was still tempted by, but I'm not feeling anything, you know, the, 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 the knee jerk reaction. Well, you know, and, and yeah, I learned my lesson the hard way. And so it's always good to discuss, you know, the, the different effects that different can, uh, types of cannabis or different forms and different dosages and, and, diff, and different combination of other plant constituents will then induce in the experience that, that each person is going to have. And it's a very individual process there is no i mean in in medicine most people and most providers are used to prescribing by weight you know it's like single compound drug dosages are are, are uh, calculated by you know body weight for the most part in 95 more than 95 percent of the cases that's that's not the way it's going to be with the cannabinoid health sciences to a point maybe with 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 pharmaceutical extracts there will be, you know, a dosing range, but there will still always be some people that are going to be more sensitive than others. And there will be some initial period of, of titrating, you know, which is the term it used in medicine to, to fine tune the exact dose that's, that's, uh, that's optimal to, to generate the, the therapy that you need and to, to, to keep away from that edge. You don't want to cross the edge into an adverse effect. Right. The start uh, low and go slow. It's, yeah, it's a, you know, you know, you, you take too much THC and, and it can make the very symptoms that you want to treat uh, worse. You know, you can, if you, if you're treating nausea and vomiting, it can, it can make it worse. If you treat anxiety, it can, it can drive you into a panic attack. If you, if you, you know, if you don't know what you're doing or if you, if you take too much. Sure. And so, so, you know, the key always comes down to, to the more you learn, the more you know about it, the before you start, the better. And then always, you know, always start low or you know, always start making one adjustment at a time. Keep a session log, if, ideally, and, and keep careful notes of the numbers of, of the various uh, uh, individual plant constituents that are in the product that, are you, you, that you're utilizing, which is now made fairly easy because most states require dispensaries and 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 product makers to have their products tested so that we know you know the the the, the chemotype of cannabis which is defined by th the, the amount of thc and cbd in a, in a ratio to each other and and it's also um, required to to display uh, dosages, and you know, and or if the dosage dosage isn't isn't clearly listed, then the percentage of each cannabinoid ought to be listed, and then you can figure it out from there. So, so it, the good thing is that the, the 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 medical bureaucracy or the political bureaucracy has has helped, you know. Uh, on the on the on the negative side, it's it's been you know the narrative on the war on drugs and the, the harm that's come from it. But on the positive side, you, you know the, there is there is now uh, a push towards and and a practice towards knowing exactly what you're taking and 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 that is that is part of the educational process, knowing it, knowing what's in the medicine that you're taking. Yeah, the the certificate of analysis coming along with most anything is has been a revelation in the industry, yeah, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And so you've written a book about these ratios and these dosages of THC to CBD, and what were some of the things that you found? Well, you know, it, most of the time uh, when you go to a dispensary's a dispensary and you ask for advice, well, what should I take for my anxiety or what should I take for my chronic 
uh, arthritis pain in my in my hips. And and you know in in the past most most of the time people have been relying on the the, the phenotype descriptions. Well, a sativa is you know more grounding, while a, an indica is more uplifting or you know, some form of, of a general formula along those lines. However, it's, it turns out that that method of using phenotypes to describe certain qualities is, is fairly imprecise. In fact, that, that um, uh, the, the, the more precise approach is to look at no matter what indica or sativa you're using or hybrid, therefore, uh, what is the amount of THC in it and what is the amount of CBD in it and what's the ratio to each other is a much better way to line up specific qualities in order to generate a predictability of effect. And the, the good thing is that a lot of the more recent studies that are coming in now, they are not just looking at cannabis as one medicine and testing it in, you know, within that context. They actually looking at the different, the three basic chemotypes of cannabis uh, side by side and to see, you know, which type of cannabis is optimal for whatever it is that they're testing for. And in a nutshell, that the three chemotypes are uh, defined by chemotype one is considered the THC abundant type. So it simply means it has more THC than CBD. A chemotype two is roughly a one-to-one -one ratio. But you know, for, for, for practical purposes, that ratio sometimes pushes in towards either side. So a one-to-four to four-to-one, four that's still considered in the chemotype two range. A chemotype three, on the other hand, is one, you know, Charlotte's Web is primarily CBD. Uh, with tiny amounts or smaller amounts of, of um, THC in it. And so the, the effects that are generated by each of these different cannabis chemotypes is significantly or can be significantly different than, you know, from one versus the other. I, you know, I mean, if you think of it, if you go, if somebody goes to the pharmacy and looks at the shelf, and there's literally hundreds of different pills. You don't go in there and you figure out, well, I have a prescription for a pill, so, so it doesn't really matter which pill I take. It's, so it's all just a pill. Nobody would, in their right mind would even think that. I mean, you know, an Ativan is for one, for one thing, a Xanax is another one, and, and, and so, so on. Everybody knows that. But when it comes to cannabis, for some reason, people think that, well, it's the same thing. and and. And the chemotype distinction is one way to address that. And so to give you an example, um, uh, HIV um, and AIDS-associated anorexia is, or, or cachexia is responding very well to a chemotype one, one with more THC and small amounts of CBD. The same is true for um, um, spinal cord injury, uh, uh, spasms or pains, for example. A chemotype 2, one with a relative equal ratio, responds really well for in patients with fibromyalgia or multiple sclerosis, for example. And a chemotype 3, one abundant in CBD, um, it works really well for pediatric seizure disorders that are resistant to, to, to standard anti-epileptics. And these are just a few examples. So if you actually go in and do a deep dive in PubMed and 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 pull out those studies that have that have done these side-by-side -side comparisons, you'll find a lot of a long list of patient populations that are informed by the evidence, by the science that says, well, this type of chemotype is, a, is, is an optimal starting point for you, while for you, no, for you it's it's this one. You know, and, and that 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 <clears throat> knowledge base is one of the things we're trying to, or what I what I what I'm trying to convey in the book on, on the uh, CBD to teach THC ratios. So so that's that's <clears throat> the the summary of the importance of the of the of the ratios and the different chemotype approaches to prescribing. And you were speaking to the thirty thousand some odd 
studies that are out there that you can find on PubMed. And that takes us into your latest venture, the Canakees 360. And it's an incredible tool. I mean, a searchable database of all of these different research papers is so worthwhile and so necessary in the industry. How did you, first of all, were you able to aggregate all of these and, and what kind of response are you getting from professionals? Uh, that, that two good questions. Um, the response has been w wonderful. People are like, oh my God, this is a godsend because the healthcare providers that, that had a similar experience to myself of seeing patients make deep improvements and, and deep strides towards deep healing using can cannabinoid-based therapeutics. They, they had the same experience of being becoming open-minded and wanting to learn more. Now, the thing is, if, if, if you're a physician or if you're a cannabis nurse and you specialize in, you know, in, in, um, you know, in, in, in one, one specialty of medicine versus another, you know, it's, 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 it's not too difficult to, to catch up on the science when you're only looking at a handful of different types of patient populations, you know, let's say, you know, you know your your specialty is neurology, so you're looking at Parkinson's, Huntington's, Alzheimer's disease, cognitive decline. You know, the, you know those. You know, those are the the patients that you see on a daily basis. If you are a general physician, you know, or or your 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 practice is more widely open to include broader um, um, uh, types of patients, then it becomes very time consuming and 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 labor laborious to to do these searches first you have to go to pubmed or any other of the repositories of these these scientific studies and you you plug in the keyword let's say alzheimer's and cannabis or, or cannabinoid and then you you know for alzheimer's you get probably a few hundred hits and then you have to you know you have to look at each of these studies and you have to create a hierarchy of studies because, you know, uh, you know, maybe twenty percent of all these studies are uh, laboratory experiments, which only, you know, when you look at it, only roughly about ten percent of all lab tests eventually translate into actionable data that's valuable for that particular patient population. So, 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 so the way you, the weight you would give to that particular study would be very light, while animal studies are are a bit you know, heavier in substance. And so are, you know, experts' opinion or reviews. And then once you get into clinical trials, you know, you have, you know, your randomized controlled trials, you have the double-blind placebo-controlled trials, and then you have the gold standard, which, which you know, would be a meta-analysis of clinical trials, which then pulls out all the relevant data, ideally, that gives you actionable information so, so you can optimize your treatment program. Now, when it comes to the cannabinoid health sciences, there are only about less than 10 conditions out of the 250 for which it shows potential where we are at that level. So for example, um, chronic cancer pain is at the level of clinical trials where we have um, uh, meta-analyses of clinical trials that give us clearly actionable data. Uh, that we can act on, you know. However, um, uh, most of the, the the conditions for which cannabis shows promise are still in their preclinical stage, which does not mean that that the data that's available is without actionable um, information that gives us certain ideas about trends, about about where to go and where not to go as a, as initial starting point. So you need to go through a process of um, uh, weighing the, the, the data that's available and then, and then distilling trends and then distilling the, the actionable trends that, that come out of, out of it. And, and so, so that is, is for a patient, for a, a, a patient that deals with a condition for 20, 30 years, but who, who, who doesn't have the, the lingo, who doesn't have the skill set to do that kind of research, um, you know, it's it's overwhelming, and even you know a lot of uh, physicians or, or or other healthcare uh, pr uh, practitioners that have the, the the language. Even for them, it's a steep curve because there it's it's 
it's not a single compound approach that they used to from orthodox medicine. We're dealing with a multi a, a pharmaceutical compound that produces cascading effects in in, in all organ systems. Uh, you know, with 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 complexities that are just astonishing. Now, the complexity is actually a good thing. Because if you don't have complexity, you end up with with very simplistic choices, black or white, which which get you into a lot of trouble in terms of not finding the optimal um, plant constituents for each person, but also crossing that line into into the, the the danger of adverse effects. And so, so complexity allows you to to flesh out the the, the lay of the land, if you will, and allows you to sort of uh, uh, get a better picture um, uh, based on the evidence in your own experience with with your patients about what is is what is actually working and, and where you have to tread carefully. And so, so, so to make it easier, we generated Kanaki's three hundred and sixty, which which is a uh, which aggregates the science of cannabis and the endocannabinoid system with a filterable dashboard output you know, that presents the clear state of the science, that shows the trends, that shows the actionable data whenever possible, so that that uh, providers and patients don't have to spend hours and hours or days on, on end at, 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 at going going through all the different data. Because we, all of the things that, that, that I just, you know, fleshed out in terms of what's necessary to get to an informed position is what we'll do for you in Canarchy's 360. <clears throat> and so uh, right now there are, I think, 238 conditions that are fleshed out that, um, that show you at a glance, a dashboard, uh, with what type of studies have been conducted? Have there been clinical trials? Have there been preclinical trials? What were the effects? You know, were they mostly, what were the key findings? Do they mostly support the idea of su supporting cannabinoid-based therapeutics for this particular condition? Or actually, does it say, does it make it worse? Or, or if so, then then why? What are what are the reasons of, of why uh, um, uh, cannabis tends to work for what for one? you know, one patient population uh, and or why they're, why they're mixed results sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it becomes very useful to, to look at those studies that produce mixed results because that's where deeper learning can happen. For, for instance, um, pancreatitis turns out to be an inflammatory condition that when you take uh, a chemotype one with more THC than CBD, in the initial phases of the inflammatory process can actually make the inflammation worse. While in the latter stages of the process, it, 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 it can generate therapeutic effects. And so, so a deep dive into looking at, you know, what are these mixed or inconclusive results or why is there one study that says it, it's therapeutic and while another study says it's detrimental. When you do the deep dive, that's the data you want to pull out. You know the same with uh, with uh, COVID. You know now, um, uh, uh, or you know, one of the complications with COVID is cytokine storm syndrome, which is a late stage development that that pushes people into the ICUs because it's it's not so much the virus that is 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 producing the problem. Sorry about that. Uh, it's it's actually the body's immune response. To in 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 order that that it generates in order to 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 uh, get rid of the virus. So you're having a lot of uh, white blood cells and engulf the virus, destroy the virus, and then you have you know all, all these you know millions of of white blood cells that are basically turning into mucus and in, into pus that need to be cleared from the lungs, from the airways. And it's a very laborious process, especially if, if, if the body's immune responses are so severe, you know, in response to the, to the viral invasion, that the, the clearing mechanism, you know, is, gets clogged up. And so, so, you know, that's why people get admitted to the ICU. They get fed and, 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 and eat an endotracheal tube and, and they're being ventilated by, uh, by force in order to get some air past that mucus 
into the uh, alveoli, so so where the, the blood can uptake the oxygen. Now, um, it turns out that both um, uh, THC and CBD uh, have antibacterial and antiviral properties. However, they also uh, tend to downregulate the, the body's immune responses, which has led to, to mixed or inconclusive results basically saying there are a number of studies that point out that if you take THC or CBD products in the initial stages of a viral infection, it may actually increase your viral load. However, at the end stage of, of uh, where you need to, to, to calm the immune system's overreactive response to a viral reaction, it is actually helpful. And so, so it's, it's, it's useful to dive in and to, to look at the details of these mixed or inconclusive or contradicting or appearing to contradict uh, uh, the resulting studies and to, 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 to compare them and, and utilize that data with that complexity in mind. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea that there is such a variance in terms of even timing with all these different diseases. It's yeah. And, and, and that's just one variable. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, the, the complexity of variables are, are astonishing, and which is another reason I love cannabinoid-based therapeutics because it instills me constantly with a sense of wonder. You know, there's not a week that goes by when I not learn something new about the human body and the, about cannabis and about uh, the interaction between them. And uh, it's it's you know, and I love to be in a state of wonder and curiosity. It just uh, you know, it's a human grace we, we can all relate to. You know, it's 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 like I haven't met a human being that doesn't have you know, or doesn't appreciate a sense of wonder and curiosity about whatever, you know, that triggers that in them. And so, so yeah, so I I think yeah, cannabis is certainly a wonderful plant teacher or ally that that constantly fuels my my sense of wonder and and uh, curiosity and with it the the, the mystery uh, or the mysterious side of of healing and of of engaging a, a plant ally for for uh, for a deeper approach to healing oh sure and as humans we've been using it as an ally for thousands of years yeah, we have a long relationship with with uh, with 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 this plant, with others too, but but it's yeah, but certainly with this plant. Yeah, I don't so, think there is a medical tradition that doesn't include <clears throat> one a form of cannabis or another in in their materia medicas. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, throughout Europe, uh, China, uh, India, yeah, here, here in the states as well. Ayurvedic medicine, homeopathy. They all, uh, they all <clears throat> include um, uh, various forms of uh, cannabinoid-based therapeutics. Yeah, it's so true. It really does. <laughs> so if we have all this research and we, we can, even to the point where the industry needed something like Canakees 360, how is it possible that the government can still say there's not enough research to remove cannabis from Schedule 1? How is that possible? Well, you know, I, I do believe and I do understand that the shift is, especially in the historical context, is we're getting close to it. And and uh, the fact is that, that even the fraught relationship between the pharmaceutical industry and, and looking at cannabis as a potential competition, you know, is, is shifting towards, yes, there's still a lot of Money being funneled towards um, towards uh, um, policy uh, uh, powers that want to keep cannabis uh, as a schedule one. There's also a push to uh, patent uh, uh, cannabinoid-based therapeutics as long as they're pharmaceutical, and and so so it's it's paradox. It's uh, paradoxical. It's you know it's bizarre, but but more and more products are being produced globally and patented globally that uh, that are based on endocannabinoid science and that are uh, uh, utilizing uh, either synthetic cannabinoids or or cannabis extracts and, and then and then uh, um, make them part and parcel of the the pharmaceutical pre pre prescription regimens. 
So we have, you know, we have Jonab and all. Uh, we have uh, uh, the Nabiximols and the Sativix, and we have um, Epidiolex covering all three cannabis chemotypes, serving, you know, a, a number of different patient populations that uh, the clinical trials have shown to be especially efficacious. Yes, they have. And it- the research is growing around all of yeah, that. Yeah, and and the the pharmaceuticals they want to you know you know they are they're you know like I said you know it, it, it's still paradoxical in a way because in a way they they're still slowing the process and at the same time they they want to make money selling these um, these these products that they own and so so I think the shift is going to be more and more towards oh my god we can make a you know serious amounts of of capital here. And and we are uh, by spending money on these forces that that uh, uh, that impede research and that uh, that keep access away from uh, from folks. Uh, uh, so so I think eventually it's going to shift in, into um, you know um, uh, into a more research friendly environment and context and and making access uh, um, you know um, a, a priority. That's what we're pushing for. That's yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And well, it, last count that I've read was 144 different phytocannabinoids that we've found so far within the plant. And if I were a pharmaceutical company, I would look at that number and say, 144, that's a lot of different combinations and formulations that I could create and patent, if you will. And that, I mean, endless, it's an endless pharmacopoeia, essentially, that you could be working with. Exactly, and we don't even know yet what 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 specific plant constituent ingredient combination is going to turn out to be optimal for all the different patient populations. We we don't know yet, and my 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 guess would be that to a point we'll we'll get closer to saying, yeah, you know, a chemotype two is a good starting point for for patients with multiple sclerosis. But I, I, I would venture to say that it's still going to be a very individualized process because everybody responds differently. And there's so many, because it is so complex and the human body is so complex, we, and, and we, you know, we have to bring the mind into the picture too. And the, the, the way that the plant impacts the mind in such a way as to support and fortify the body's capacity for self-healing you know that that um that uh is the reason why i believe that that even though there may be standardized formulations that come turn out to be working well for a particular patient population there's always going to be a very individualized component to to prescribing with cannabis which is great which I think is the way medicine should be individualized. There shouldn't be one one thing that fits all. I think so too. And I think that that also, it fosters a greater relationship between the patient and the doctor. Whereas current medical communities, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it's a cash grab almost, you know, you can squish as many people into your day as you possibly can and see them for 10 minutes and barely look at them because you're looking at their forms and then write a prescription and walk out the door and, this gives the opportunity for these relationships to develop and to actually be with your patient and see how they're healing and all that. Absolutely, and and I would I would love to see patient uh, uh, providers spend more time with them, but but you know you know they also have, you know are, are are bound to uh, to make money. They have to pay their 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 office bills and their 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 staff and and so I understand you know that they want to. You know they have to keep that in mind as they not not every physician is a, a wealthy person, and 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 so to a point, uh, patients will have to to look at how they are healing in a different way. They can't just go with the paradigm when you're sick. I go to a doctor, I get a pill, and I'm better. Approach where you know the ten minutes is enough to to see somebody. You walk out with your prescription, and and when it comes to masking systems uh, symptoms, you know it has been efficient to a point. But now, especially when it comes to chronic conditions, you know for which there is no cure, and most of the 235 conditions that that we we list currently on Canakis 360 fall into that category. There is no cure for most of these conditions. And the the best thing those patients can hope for from getting from their physician is 
is a pharmaceutical uh, regimen that you know always going to tend to uh, you know include more and more uh, uh, pills as as uh, you, you you progress with the condition, and so so we need to also start looking at educating people that there is another way if you if you want deeper healing and if you want to take a deeper approach, you need to bring in the mind body component. You need to look at what is the message you the innate intelligence of your body is trying to communicate through your symptoms, and and depending on symptoms, they are either an invitation or a demand for change. You know, and so 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 that component, especially in the chronic context, will become an important one to add. And that can't be done really in in a physician setting. That that is going to take uh, patient initiative. That is going to take patient focus and, de- and determination. And you know, to to flesh that, to create the space for that to happen. You know, if you want to see the shifts in in, in your chronic. Conditions you have to, you know, you know the the saying uh, uh, Einstein saying if uh, the definition of insanity, you know, it, it, you do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. It's not going to work. You've got to open up to different approaches. And but the good thing is, if you're dealing with a condition for 10, 20, 30 years, and, and all you get is more pills, and all you know, and you're making no progress. I would I would I would venture to say that a lot of those folks are really motivated to 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 look at uh, other approaches. That's why a lot of people are opening up to trying a cannabinoid-based approach, even though they've been socialized by the narrative on the war on drugs that has been hammered into our collective uh, uh, consciousness that says it's the evil wheat from Mexico. Stay away from it. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 uh, yeah it it provides us with a lot of opportunity uh, for 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 revisiting the the whole idea of what healing is going to look like, especially of chronic stuff. I think so, and I think that that speaks to this. Uh, I'm going to call it the Cartesian myth, where we were separating out the mind and body. It's so long we've kept them as separate entities, whereas it seems as more research comes out and more that we're understanding about our own physiology, that there are certain psychological underpinnings to most every ailment that we may have, and the the aspect of the endocannabinoid system, specifically the uh, the the blessing of forgetting, right? That that aspect of it, it seems that that would play an incredible role in any healing process, wherever it might be within your body. Absolutely, that is uh, that, that's an interesting that you pull that out. You know, is the the shifts in in, in cognition or the the shifts in in short term and long term memory while you're under the influence of cannabis, and and how that can be harnessed for for you know for healing rather than to look at it as an adverse effect exactly and and there's an interesting overlap between the cannabinoid health sciences and and mind body medicine and um uh in fact uh this is one of the reasons why cannabis works for so many different types of patients is because and and i mentioned it earlier is because it affects the body and the mind in such a way as to fortify and support our capacity for self-healing. And it does so primarily in, in, in two ways. Uh, one, the right type of cannabis um, at, used at the appropriate dose matched to each individual's patient needs will, will, will work in two particular ways. One, it will, do, it will induce a deep sense of relaxation. And two, it will produce multiple system homeostasis at a cellular level. And this is why, why, you know, the endocannabinoid system is so relevant. It's not just a system that sits in your stomach or in your brain. It literally has components, abundant amounts of endocannabinoid system components present in every single organ system. And, And especially in the gut and in the brain. You know, the gut has its own enteric nervous system, and the brain has its, of course, its central and peripheral nervous system. And the endocannabinoid system is, is active in all of them, but not individualized, but, but in, in, in with, the, with the prime focus of generating homeostasis or balance between each and all of those systems. 
And that's why the mind-body component becomes so important. Because, you know, stress is not just experienced in the mind, but it's also experienced in the gut. And the internal chemical environment responds to our emotional, mental environment and vice versa. If you change the chemistry in your body, you change the way you think and feel. And if you change the way you think and feel, which is part of our uh, conscious uh, domain, if you will, we have capacity to change the way we think and feel, you also change your chemistry. And the more we know about that, the more we can direct, you know, where we want the impact to go. And, uh, and the endocannabinoid system actually turns out to be a bridge between mind-body medicine and the endocannabinoid system and the cannabinoid health sciences. And one way to demonstrate that point is to consider the idea that um, there are over 20 different types of neurotransmitters or hormones that are associated with particular emotional states. You know, like for example, um, oxytocin is, is associated with intimacy, it's associated with uh, the bonding between a, a, a newborn infant and, uh, and a mother. It's associated with generosity. Um, epinephrine is associated with fight, flight, or, uh, or freeze responses. Serotonin is associated with, with uh, happiness. Uh, anandamide uh, is associated with bliss. And, and there are, you know, I, I've identified so far over 20 different neurotransmitters and hormones that are either in part or significantly modulated by components of the endocannabinoid system. And so if you take that into account that cannabis or a properly dosed cannabis experience will put you in, will elevate your mood and put you, put you in a deeply relaxed state that allows you to even be in the presence of otherwise intolerable emotional material that you would, for example, face when you when you try to do uh, um, deep therapy with uh, uh, post-traumatic stress syndromes, you know it, it. You know this is where what you pointed out: the forgetting can become so so useful to find yourself in the in in the presence of what otherwise would trigger a, a, a hypervigilant reaction. All of a sudden, you find yourself very relaxed in the face of that trigger, building new, connect, new, new uh, uh, synaptic connections, if you will, and, and mitigating the, the path of least resistance that has been established by the repetitive um, signals that have been, been fed over and over a, a, a to you in the presence of that trigger. And so- And I interrupt you for just quickly. Is it, have you found studies that show a link between cannab cannabinoid medicine and neurogenesis? Is that what you're speaking uh, to? Yeah, you know, there are, you know, I mean, the, the thing when it comes to, uh, punch it in on PubMed, neurogenesis and cannabinoids. And you'll see, you know, a, a great number of studies that show that, uh, that cannabinoid-based therapeutics can in fact induce neurogenesis. But so does certain mind-body medicine techniques. They, they can also produce a neurogenesis. You know, like I said, the, the, a, when we repeat a choice, for example, um, take a, take, I'm trying to think of an example. Let's say, to take, to let's take one from politics. Whenever you see a politician you hate, you absolutely dislike, and and so it's, and when you see when you hear see them on television, you see them in the newspaper, you hear their voice, you instantly get angry. You know, and that is that is you know a choice that we make and that we reinforce over and over again when we see or hear that politician. Now, whenever we 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 repeat that process, the the synaptic cleft, the space between synapses in, in the brain and in the nervous system gets more narrow each time we do that. And that's become, that's why it becomes the path of least resistance. So hate becomes, uh, a, you know, a, a, a constant presence in our, in our being, you know, and that's not just mental, emotionally, but, but it also has physiological 
impacts. It, you know, it releases more epinephrine, it releases more cortisol, and it diminishes all the feel-good uh, uh, um, molecules that, 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 that could be there otherwise. And so to, to, to make a different choice, to, to, to bring more complexity or nuance to the, the knee-jerk response to when you see that politician, it can actually be a, a, a doorway to, to neurogenesis of literally creating an, a new neuronal pathway and diminish the impact of the old one, you know, which is just always angry, angry, angry. Because how can you get away from that politician? You know, it's like whenever you're on Facebook or whenever you're on Google, it's right there when you listen to the news. And so if you flood your system constantly with, with stress hormones, it'll have an impact on your chronic condition. It will worsen, you know, most chronic conditions are worsened by the, the presence of stress hormones. And, but the, the same thing, by the same token, that's also true for, um, for bringing a therapeutic element into the picture by, by uh, creating an internal environment that, that is conducive to creating expansive emotions. In fact, they did interesting studies on it, finding out that you need roughly about a three to one or four to one ratio of expansive experiences, mental, emotional experiences to mitigate the, the ill effect of one a uh, 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 stressful uh, event. And so it behooves us to create uh, an internal um, architecture of mind that, that generates more uh, expansive emotional experiences rather than constricting ones. Yeah. And, and so with that in mind, you know, and this is what cannabis does. If it's done right, if the right type of cannabis is matched at the, to the right dose to the right patient, it will help you to relax. <laughs> exactly. And some of those more euphoric effects. Euphoria. Will open I mean, you up. Why would medicine ever think of euphoria as being an adverse effect? Yeah, that's shocking. It's a, it's I mean, a shocking statement. Yeah. Artists are seeking out euphoria all over the world, you know, every, you know, account of history is filled with, with the, the search for euphoria as part of a extraordinary uh, experience of consciousness that helps the human evolution, that helps to create beauty, that helps to, you know, overcome our challenges and limitations in, in a positive, you know, a beautiful way. And <clears throat> so why would that be an adverse effect? Yeah, it's a, it's, it, I don't understand at all. I mean, that's the why religion exists, right? Is chasing that euphoria. And religion is, is perfectly acceptable among society. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you know, I, I understand the, 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 you know, you don't want to become addicted. You don't want to become uh, hooked on, on, on using a euphoric <clears throat> external in order to not deal with what otherwise would be there. Because, you know, from a mind-body perspective, that is the core of what drives addiction, is, is your avoidance mechanism in terms of dealing with, uh, with what's already inside, you know, in, in the shadowy recesses of your mind. You know, if I'm feeling anxious and I don't want to feel anxious, you know, I want to suck up that cigarette to suck away that uh, anxiety. That is not going to help deal with why the anxiety was 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 uh, emerging in the first place. Maybe there is another way to deal with that anxiety in a constructive way. And so, 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 but you see, this is what's what's useful about to know about uh, approaching the use of cannabis as a teacher plant, because it can help you to generate to put a clutch onto the automated reactions of your mind and to look at at life you know and whatever comes to you in it with a, a new and different perspective it's almost like you get a break from yourself you put the clutch on automatic uh, your automatic mental emotional responses and you just sort of get to be you just sort of get to to be in the presence of no matter what is there, and it's okay. And that itself can be cathartic. And that itself can be, you know, a, a euphoric experience. And that, and, and that itself can be therapeutic. And, and, you know, when people get that, 
when they make this part and parcel of their deeper healing, when it, when it comes to dealing with chronic stuff, their healing process, no matter what regimen they use, if it's pharmaceutical or if it's alternative, their healing progress is going to be vastly accelerated by bringing that dimension into the healing process. And that's, that's I think, the crooks of the matter, or one of the crooks of the matter of why mind-body medicine and the cannabinoid health sciences or orthodox medicine can be bridged by that focus on creating a cannabis experience that's more than just, I'm taking it to mitigate a symptom. Yeah, and I think I really like the idea of it, the clutch and, and changing gears and allowing yourself to change those gears. But I was immediately, at first I thought you said crutch and I said, like, oh no, that's exactly what we don't want. No, no. <laughs> so right. the, the clutch, not the crutch. Right, exactly. Yeah, and what I did, one is better than the other. <laughs> one is better than the other, and and I've seen it far too often, sadly, where cannabis use can become a crutch, where they people tend to believe where they can't function through their day healthily without being under the influence of cannabis, and that seems like it's gone too far. Yeah, and that's what makes that's what makes the nine percent that you mentioned. Uh, you know, of people that use cannabis uh, vulnerable to developing addiction to cannabis, which is a distinct possibility if you're using the substance as an avoidance mechanism rather than dealing with, with a mental emotional communication from the innate intelligence of your mind that is just trying to help you to, to work through something, you know, before it, it, it manifests in, uh, in, in the physical. It's a lot easier to deal with it in the mental emotional. Well, maybe not for all. I mean, there are some serious mental emotional challenges, but uh, but uh, once it becomes physical, you, you still have to deal with the mental emotional aspect of it. And in addition, now it's it's solidified, and you have to deal with the physical symptoms too. It seems like it'd be a tremendous tool for psychotherapy as well. And yeah, you know, and, and I think there are more and more typical therapists are being asked by their by their patients by their clients to what's your what's your take on cannabis can it help i've been using it or i've been scared of it or you know and so you know this the discussion is an ongoing one in the in the in the in the um, uh, therapy community and and you know i i know of several uh, folks that uh, have, uh, pr pr practitioners and patients that using it for with therapy in mind and it seems to me, too, that uh, if you look at most of the state-regulated ailments across the board, they tend to be more on a physical level and less into the psychological. Some, some states are starting to bring in maybe anxiety or PTSD, but there's a, a strong weight towards the physical as far as what uh, these newer states are starting to accept as, as ailments. Within the research that you've discovered in these 200 and 38 or so that that you've been able to come out with with Canis Keys 360 is there more of a balance between the the psychological and the physiological or would you say that it has more promise in the physiological realm no uh, cannabinoid based therapeutics are, are can be effectively used in both the the mental emotional uh, uh, issues and the physiological issues. In fact, we in, in Cannabis 360, we include every single medical condition for which cannabis shows promise, no matter if it's mental, emotional, or it's psychiatric, or uh, or if it's biological or, or physical. And I, you know, I would have to guess without looking at it directly. But but uh, I mean, you, you know, when you have a chance and you, you're curious, look at look at it yourself and just just look at the. Uh, do a search by organ system. And when you do a search on the, on the mental emotional, that will show you all of the conditions that are in the, in the realm of therapy for which cannabinoid-based therapeutics show promise. And you know, it's the typical you already mentioned, it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, but you know, uh, there, there's more. And so, so at your leisure, if you feel, if you feel inclined, uh, just do an organ system search and it will, it will show you a summary of all of them. I will certainly check that out. Well, we've, it's already been over an hour. This went by so quickly. Is, <laughs> is there any direction that we didn't go that you'd like to touch on? 
No, I think this was uh, this was fantastic. Thank you, Matthew, for creating the space and the avenue to to pull out some some thoughts and and uh, and feelings and beliefs and attitudes that I have about uh, working with cannabis. And uh, it's a pleasure to to have an opportunity to share this with you. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, I have one last question for you that I like to ask everybody. And that is, if you could see one change within the medical cannabis industry right now, what would you want that change to be? Uh, you know, I my the, the one thing that comes to mind is all you need is a little seed and a pot or a little space in your backyard. Even if you never use it for medicine, it's a plant that is beautiful to watch to grow. And you can use the fan leaves as juice or in a salad and you will not get stoned because it's not carboxylated. In other words, it's not psychoactive in its raw state. It's a beautiful plant. And and just sort of see if you can, you know, have a, a, um, a or a discover an appreciation for for just the sheer beauty of 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 its fast growing, bushy, dense, beautiful dark green flower and plant that it can be. Just 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 try it. You know, you don't need a green thumb. It it grows like a weed. And and just see you know what uh, what happens you know you might uh, you might get interested in in all of the complex things that that uh, all of the doors that are, are available uh, to you or you can just enjoy the yeah a new addition to your garden. It's beautiful. It, it sounds like Goethe. It's a beautiful way to look at the world and to observe and appreciate. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has really been an honor to have you on the show. And I just can't wait for the next time we get to speak. I'm looking forward to it. So what'd you think? Did you love Uwe? Because I sure did. Shoot me an email, matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com and let me know what you thought of this interview, what you think of the show in general. I really would love to hear from you. You know, one of the beautiful things about being able to have a podcast like this is that I get to speak to people that have been an inspiration to me. I get to reach out to folks and have conversations with them who are so brilliant and so far beyond anybody that I really knew that I had a chance to speak to. So I am really grateful for that and I hope that all of you are getting just as much value out of this show as I'm able to get in my own life by being able to host it. So To all of you out there, thank you so much. Come back again. And until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host. Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening.